In this episode of Octal FM, we spin dash and long jump our way through platforming video games and discuss all the things that make them great and rant about all the mechanics we think they could just do without. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Saffron. And today we're going to kind of continue one of our sort of underlying themes in the podcast, which is to talk about platforming video games. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the, the particular idea for what we want to talk about today, which is sort of good and bad aspects of, of platformers, has kind of been on the back burner I guess, since about episode 18. Oh, episode 18 was the history of platformers. That's right. Like yeah. talking about sort of like their progression. Um, we were, yeah, because it came from. That was the one that sort of like is 3D platforming dead kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that kind of thing. And we've, and we've talked about the best ever Super Mario and, you know, all kinds of, there's been a lot of platforming discussion on the podcast. I guess it's because they're games that we really like. Which is interesting because I don't actually play that many platformers really anymore. no. What I like about platformers as well is that when you're talking about them in the context of video games as a whole, they often reflect trends quite well. Like That's true. Development in video games tends to be reflected very obviously in the platformers of the era. Yeah. Because like we were talking about this, like this kind of being this progression, which we have kind of talked about before, where they've gone from the sort of single screen side scrolling games like you know the original super mario and stuff like that um and then you've moved on with 3D you sort of had much more free roaming and an open platforming instead of just kind of a constrained environment did they ever try and do i'm trying to think if there's any good examples of like 3D games but where like it's just a straight shot where you go forward sort of thing like crash in a bandicoot 2D. Yeah, I, I guess, guess that's probably the best example, actually. That's, yeah, no, that's 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 right. Yeah, because that was very much a corridor. Well, it wasn't always just a, that, that upwards corridor either, was it? Like, they had like, those 2D levels as well, didn't they? Where you had to like, yeah. jump from platform. Yeah, so I th- that's probably a really good example of, like, the old and the new meeting. Whereas, like, Mario 64 was very much uh, taking inspiration from the old, but creating something entirely new. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, what did that... That kind of progressed into more sort of story-based and you kind of got this concept of adventure games, right? Like where you you kind of, you had platformers and then you had adventure games and games with story or or voice acting that were still kind of ultimately platformers, really. Mm. And, you know, even something like Tomb Raider, like it's not really a platformer, but there is jumping and there are platforms so well i mean a lot of the puzzles come from like working out how to jump from one thing to another and like doing it in time and stuff like that so yeah like as much as it's a puzzle action game it's also very much a platformer game as well so and it's interesting how many kind of different genres it dips its toe into yeah definitely we go through all these lists of games that we've just got written down here and they all have like different elements in them like for example you could talk about like um the metroidvanias type of games but I wouldn't consider them platformers, but then they they have platforms and jumping in them, so they are. It's such a broad range of, of, of game types, and that's something we've talked about before as well. And even now, the sort of modern platformers, maybe even more so, 
kind of take elements from other from other genres. You know, there's you've got a lot more games with kind of puzzle elements. Mm. Um, something like Braid, which is kind of a, a sort of return to 2D platforming, but is you know has really interesting mechanics. We've talked again also about indie developers and how the availability of being able to build a game opens up the creativity because you now have so many more people trying out ideas that are a little bit more adventurous than a AAA, you know, mega company would would opt for. You've also had indie developers experiment with the more traditional st- style of 2D as well. And you said like something like Shovel Knight, which I guess is kind of a more traditional 2D platformer, yeah. but but a current era kind of game. Yeah, with like some modern... Uh, modern fixtures, not fixtures, but like trappings to it, I should say. Yeah. So, uh, like sprinkled on. And that kind of goes into what we were going to talk about in a bit in the sense that like there's lots of good and bad things to platformers mm. and there's some good examples of it as well. Yeah. And that's not to say that like this is a definitive list of the best things that platformers do and the worst no. things they do. We were talking about it and at first the idea was to kind of go with like give an example of a game that does something really well or not very well at all. But then that kind of spawned into us talking about examples of, I guess, tropes. Is that, would that be the right word for it? Yeah, tropes tropes would be the right word, yeah. Within platformers, because it's amazing how many of them we just sort of like are part of it and you don't even think about it as being part of the genre. Because when you think of the genre, you just think jumping on platforms hence platformer but it's amazing how many small kind of like details are now just kind of part and parcel of that genre yeah definitely and there's been some things that have kind of to some extent died a death as well as time has progressed and as platformers have sort of shaken off their arcade origins and stuff like that it's something that i feel that has maybe died away a little bit is the concept of collectathons mm-hmm. there's not that many games nowadays that are collectathons and that was kind of an era where things like banjo kazooie or donkey kong 64 or something else that isn't rare did, did, did anyone <laughs> else do do collectathons i mean a lot of the um the playstation ones like your spiros your yeah Crocs, things like that they had quite a lot of collecting things in them as well they were just sort of like a, a slightly different breed of platformer but the same sort of idea yeah and that kind of thing it was kind of a for better or worse like it seemed like people liked it at the time but now looking back it feels like it hasn't aged that well as a concept i think it's because and i I think rare really hit the nail on the head with it and that they saw what mario 64 was doing to the 3d and i mean like kind of open 3d platforming game because again something like crash bandicoot although it was 3d was kind of like perfecting the 2d style of platforming within a 3d environment whereas mario was going in a different direction entirely and they looked at it and they looked at the limitations of that as well because like there's only so much platforming you can do in a 3d environment without it being incredibly hard to control because you've got so many more well you've got a whole third dimension to try and deal with (laughs) rather than just up and down so they thought, well, rather than make it a test of like your skill and trying to make these really ridiculously hard jumps, which is incredibly difficult now, we'll make it more about the exploration within a level and to make people want to explore, we'll put all these different collecting things in it. Yeah. And it worked for sure. Like one of my favorite games is the Banjo series. Like I actually prefer Banjo to each Banjo-Kazooie, which I think is like quite an uncommon mm. opinion. I think most people think that the first one was better. But... I absolutely adore them, 
but I can also see the flaws as well with the collectathon. And the one that exemplifies it the most, I mean, hell, unless it's changed as of like past couple of years, is in the Guinness Book World Records of having like the most things to collect within a video game, which is DK64. <laughs> I didn't know that. Is that really yeah. a thing? I mean, it, it might not be now. Like, I think it was back in like 2014, 2015. It, like it was, it held the record of the most collectibles oh in a game. Oh my God. Uh, I, it's some ridiculous number because you think every there's is there five characters yeah there's five characters isn't there? there's there's donkey there's diddy there's tiny there's lanky and there's chunky um i know that I, it's bad that i remember the names as well isn't it <laughs> uh <laughs> there's, there's five characters and each level has a hundred bananas in it for each character and then you've got everything else to collect as well like you've got all the coins that you collect which you use to pay for things and then you've got all of the blueprints to collect and then all the golden bananas to collect and then all the you know, and then that's not even taking into account the all the upgrades you can get. So you have like different moves and different weapons. There was so much to collect. And one of my biggest problems with that wasn't the, the game, because I really liked the game. I think it was really good. I just think it was maybe too much. And mm. it was also relatively poorly implemented as well. One of the things I really enjoyed about Banjo, and I said this um, in the notes, was... That I like the fact that in Banjo, when you leave a world, it resets the world so that when you yeah. go back to it, it's fresh so that you have to kind of run through it again. And that might seem like a more busy work. But to me, it means that if you've kind of messed up and you've missed something and maybe you're using like a guide or something to try and find like that last elusive um, note in Banjo, you can kind of still follow the guy through and everything will be where it's supposed to be. Whereas in DK, if you've like missed one random banana under the water or something, you won't know that it's there unless you go through everything else first yeah and also it's kind it was kind of a mistake because the those collectibles would tend to be on paths and things like that through the exactly. levels so that exactly. they would guide you so when you missed one and it's just floating around and i think i think ukulele has this problem because ukulele it like doesn't the level doesn't reset it can be very difficult, like you say, to find that last one because, oh, you didn't quite go around the corner when you were collecting those other six. And so now there's one more like hiding around the corner. It's so frustrating because I like collectathons because it feels really rewarding to 100% a level. Mm. That's kind of almost a precursor to the idea of like 100% completing certain things with like, you know, medals and achievements and stuff. But I think it was too much, and I think maybe they got carried away with it. And I'm almost kind of glad that that's not part of the gaming landscape anymore. Like, I can't think... The only example you can think of, like, collectathons nowadays is almost in, like, your adventure games, like your Assassin's Creeds and your Far Cry yeah. and stuff, where you have to, like, kind of collect these small... I don't know, is it like feathers in, in Assassin's Creed usually, is it? Is it, is it I know what you mean, yeah. And there's there tends to be a lot less, a lot fewer things. Yeah, it, it, there's still a lot fewer, and, and they're often a lot less crucial to the kind of the primary goal within the game. Yep. Whereas in something like these games, you have to pick them up. Granted, you yeah. didn't have to 100% them. You didn't have to collect all of them to be able to continue. True. I think in Banjo, you had to collect like 50% of all of the collectibles, yeah. like all of the notes and jiggies to be able to basically finish the game. Everything else was mostly just there for kind of completion's sake. Yeah. But it, it still required a lot of faff sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. One thing that something like Banjo-Kazooie did really well was the kind of progression and the sort of unfolding. Like these larger 3D games, you know, when they started to experiment with kind of things that I guess started off in something like Metroid or Castlevania, you know, that typical Metroidvania sort of you get, you unlock something later in the game and it means you can go back to the earlier worlds or you can go back somewhere else and now you can 
make that extra jump so that you can get to a new area and stuff like that. And I think that kind of like progression and unfolding is is really cool to sort of make the most of the world that you've built, especially on in sort of on earlier consoles where you've perhaps got hardware limitations such that you can't necessarily have, you know, 30 worlds. So instead what you do is you have, you know, five or 10 or whatever, and then you unlock parts of it yeah. over time so that you have to go and revisit that same area. And now there's a new bit, you know, that kind of keeps it fresh. Ukulele did this as well, where you could literally expand the level once you unlocked a certain number of things and it would mm. become like a larger version of the same level, uh, which was kind of cool. That's kind of like distilling that down to its, yeah. to its purest. I really enjoy, like Metroidvania games are a great example of it in fairness, where a new ability unlocks the, like a new path in an area, yeah. but that path then links back to maybe like a different area. So it's like a shortcut. Yes. Because obviously in things like the Metro games, you don't just kind of select the world you want to go to. You kind of have to traverse to them throughout like the overall world. Yeah. So having like that shortcut, which then gets you back to the kind of like the current zone, as it were, so to speak, where yeah. like, you're currently exploring through and like fighting is really, really nice. Because it means that backtracking element, which I mean, backtracking in most video games isn't good, but it means that it almost feels like a reward because you've you've gotten this new ability, you know, you've unlocked this ability and now you can kind of like quickly fast travel between something, whereas before it was mostly just a grind. It's making you feel like you're getting better and you're becoming more uber because now you can get from one place to another really quickly because you've unlocked this thing and you're like mm -hmm. oh i'm like way more powerful and better now because i can do this i think the, the unfolding of these kind of games can be done really well or really badly i i really don't like it when there is just an arbitrary obstacle in the way of obviously getting like the next piece of collecting thing which means that i'm gonna have to come back to this level later and it's not as bad in the Metroidvania style games where like it's all kind of like one flowing world because that was also a trope of the time as well like Mario 64's idea of like having the worlds that you jump through the paintings for where you went into specific worlds from an overworld. Yeah. That was really tedious in my opinion like having to go back to a world you've already been into which you've already completed 100%. The only thing they left to do is this like one task which requires this new ability that you only got yeah. in the next level. Because it's not fun to go back to that world because you've already explored it. You already know what's there. There's nothing new to, to get or to gather or to experience. So it just feels like busy work and it doesn't feel rewarding to use that new ability. But use right, it feels really... I, I actually like new abilities, especially in these kind of platform games, that allow new methods of traversal, like allowing you to go through a level in sort of like almost a different way. And yeah. by that, I mean, like, rather than, say, having to walk across it, maybe now you can, like, do long jumps or maybe there's, like, these abilities to to fly short periods of time or, yeah. I don't know, something along those kind of lines, like, just that makes it feel like a different experience traveling through the same world without having to just put a, a here's one arbitrary challenge you have to overcome using this ability, which is immediately solved because you just have that ability. Yeah. And so something that really doesn't work well when you do have these kind of progression and exploration type games and and so i'm kind of glad that this has really died a death in platformers is something like uh time limits you know having an arbitrary time limit that is just you know you must complete the level in a certain number of seconds or whatever you know thinking back to like original mario and stuff like it was that. always game seconds as well it's never real seconds yeah they're never quite the same as real seconds no. they're always weirdly faster or slower or something which, which is, is weird but you know, we've talked before about how 
early games were developed by people that previously were developing arcade games. You know, home console games and PC games were made by arcade game developers at first. And so they kind of took just so many tropes and things from those arcade games when they made console games. Sometimes even they were direct ports. Uh, so that's where I think really time limits came from. And mm-hmm. that's probably why they've kind of died a death. It's fine if that is part of the challenge, like a purposeful part of it is to get through the level quickly. But when you just have a game that, you know, is a large level to explore and it also has a time limit, that's kind of just weird. Yeah. And I think it just doesn't really have a place anymore in in platforming games. I mean, I don't think it had much of a place in many platform games. I think the only (laughs) exception is maybe like when you're trying to do like speed runs or maybe when you got like to kind of like bronze, silver or gold a level um, and it needs time. But rather than having a time limit, then surely it should just have a timer to say how long you've done it. So if you don't care about like going doing it fast, it doesn't matter. There's so many examples of times when I've been playing a game and I've just been exploring or I've been trying to work out how to do this particular kind of like jump or puzzle and then I'm just noticed the time limit and it's just ticking down. Like, well, I know I can't finish the level on time now. <laughs> Even though I've still got time left, I can't physically finish it quickly yeah. enough now. So I might as well just kill myself and just start again. Yeah, exactly. Um, which it just seems like bad design. It does seem weird. I guess it's just, it's just arbitrary difficulty, right? We've talked about that before. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind deaths in these games at all. And I think some games actually really benefit from the from, from dying and failing at a test when it's done correctly, but not done via time limit. Not making you just go, oh, you're out of time. You lose. Like, that's yeah, rubbish. Definitely. Um, you know, that, that that's not fun. And actually one way, like you say, like the games that do benefit from death, what works really well is when they let you restart quickly, right? Like, especially something like... I mean, I, I always think that the best example of this is Super Meat Boy. Right? I think like it, it is, yeah. It just had, that was such a challenging platformer, but also it takes about half a second for the level to reset yes. when you die, which is just perfect for something like that to just, you know, let you easily try again. You know, there's not time to wait. There's no cutscenes. There's nothing going on. It's just smooth, easy restarting. And that lets you have really technical platforming because now it's frustrating but only because you feel like oh I, I can just i can do it this time and you don't have to wait ages between restarts uh and actually that's also something that's in a lot of other games as well which is really interesting like you mentioned trackmania which i yeah. think is a great example of this you know sort of a that's like a platforming racing game almost yeah, yeah. i because it's not as it's as much a racing game as it is a puzzle game about like yeah. making ridiculous jumps or corners or something perfectly. Yeah, and I, I really really love those style of games where the challenge is not necessarily from finishing it a hundred percent, but in completing it in this perfect manner. Yeah, and that would be awkward and unfun. Whether it, if like your kind of like your restart, so to speak, of a failing level was like. Well, here's the death screen. Now here's yeah, a load exactly. screen. Now here's the intro sequence to the level again. You just press a button, like because often these games even have reset buttons in them, so that when you know you've messed up, you just like, no, I'm not going to even bother 
dying, I'm just going to reset. Yeah. Isn't it something like Spacebar in Trackmania? Like it's like a I really it is, obvious yeah. button. It, it's, it's such a core part of it because it, you've got to be so perfect, like literally millisecond yeah. perfect. So when you know you've made a mistake, what's the point in carrying on? You might as well just restart. Exactly. Uh, but that's really good because then you don't get frustrated with it because yeah. one of the, the primary thing which is frustrating about losing or dying within a level within a game is the wait between having to try it that same yeah. problem again because you know you can do the rest of the level for the most part. You just want to get on with the bit that you struggled with. And then it almost feels like a challenge, but when you get it, it's really rewarding. Mm. So that's, in my opinion, is really good game design. That's thinking, what do players like? What do players dislike? Let's make sure we do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that doesn't go hand in hand with the fast restarts, and again, this is also dying a death mostly, is lives. Right, like having a limited number of lives when you're playing a platforming game. Again, that's something that's so arcade throwback. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to have a limited number of lives so that the next person can have a go. But then you I have continues works... still built in, and some yeah. games have unlimited continues, which makes the lives thing pointless. So what's the yeah. why are you bothering? Like when ugh. you actually think about it, it's like what, a continue doesn't mean anything if it's a console. <laughs> like there's mm-hmm. no like it's not a thing. I guess, yeah, I don't know. That's That has definitely disappeared off the face of the earth in terms of games, I think. I don't know. Maybe there are still some games that have lives and continues. I think the only reason, I think the only exception to when lives are okay to use, like, I actually don't think it's okay in Mario at all. Like in yeah. the more modern Mario games, like, um, is it like Super Mario 3D World? Um, is, yeah. is that what it is? Yeah. I think it's awful because yeah. lives are one of two things. They're either a constant pain in your ass because you, you're trying to not have to restart a level kind of thing and do the continues. Or you've got so many of them because the game kind of throws them at you so willingly. It, they're pointless anyway. Yeah. So just remove them. Like, you don't gain anything by having them there, really. I think the only time that a game benefits from having a live system is to make it so that every challenge counts. But I think yeah. that maybe would come from a, a more slower, methodical game where you have to think through a problem rather than react to a problem. Yeah, and I think also it works in games that are super punishing where there isn't the concept of continues. And if you have a sort of sequential game that you're playing through, and then when you lose all your lives, you actually have to start the game again. Uh, which mm-hmm. is a very retro mechanic, right? That's kind of like Sonic or something like that. And it's not so bad when games give you, I don't know, sort of like, a, I don't want to say a reward for dying, but like a concession for dying almost. Games like, um, we've mentioned it earlier, Shovel Knight, it does a quite good job of it in that you do have that punishment for death in that when you die, you lose some of your gems. I think, they're, are they gems? They're crystal? I think they're gems. Mm, um, yeah. But you, you can get them back, uh, kind of like Dark Souls, in the sense that like yeah. it's kind of sat there in the world where you died. So you can go back and get them and then carry on. So you don't lose anything. But of course, the the difficulty with that, the challenge with that is that if you kind of get them back in the place that you died, you might die again. And if you die again, you do lose them. Yeah, and exactly. It, it, it just has a much better approach to a lives system, so to speak, I think. Like another really cool thing that Shovel Knight does is it has like checkpoints throughout the level that you respawn at for when you can pass them. But you can yeah. destroy the checkpoints and the checkpoints then give you gems. 
But then oh. if you destroy it, you won't respawn there. You'll have to respawn oh, further back. So that's it's sort of cool. like a risk reward system. Yeah, like you, you want like... more gems, but because because gems aren't just like points that they use to like buy upgrades and stuff, like buy more health and buy more uh, like abilities and stuff. So that's kind of like building the difficulty into the game, isn't it? Yeah, like rather, yeah, exactly. You know, by instead of having a no checkpoints option, you can just sort of choose to do it as you're playing the game. Shovel Knight has wonderful game design. Like, it, don't get me wrong, it isn't perfect. There is a couple of things that I dislike about it. But there are so many fantastic design decisions in Shovel Knight, um, yeah. which we could probably do an episode on. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that, you know, sort of thinking about platformers, and we talked about before about the relationship between platformers and roguelike games uh you know so games where the levels are randomized but the death is permanent that's not so bad if you don't really have any lives there you have no lives um but something like rogue legacy where, where you kind of have lives because sort of it's sort of i don't know it's kind of a weird one i guess well, you rogue have one legacy, life but, don't you and then you play yeah, a different character <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that, that sort of softening of that and it's not you know it's really part of the game and so it's not so bad it, rather than just an arbitrary like, yeah number, that's right that's right. Yeah, that's kind of the difference, isn't I it? I don't mind it when it's designed around, but when it's just part of the game because it they the developer thinks like it needs to be, then it often doesn't work. It just feels like crap punishment, really. Yeah, exactly. And games that really don't work well with a live system, and maybe this again, I think, is an arcadey thing. We're ranging on the arcades here, aren't we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> is like co-op now. Mm. Co-op doesn't work well with lives in the sense that when someone dies and runs out of lives, then they're not playing cooperatively anymore, and that sucks. But there's a lot of games that have a really kind of good, unique solution to that. Like, for example, in Rayman, the the more recent Rayman games like Legends and Origins, you, you kind of, when you get hit, you, you go into like that bubble, and then your, yeah. your, your partner has to kind of like grab you to then bring you back to life, so to speak. So it encourages you to kind of work together to keep each other going. There's no lives, so to speak, but there's like a hit mechanic in that sense. And that makes it so much more enjoyable for both players because like, yeah, someone's going to mess up at some point, but then the other person can feel kind of like good about saving that person. And you don't feel as bad about like messing up at some time if you're maybe not quite as good as the other player, that kind of thing. So that's, a, that's where cooperative in platforming is done really well. And there are some other good examples of, of cooperative platforming. Yeah, something that I really like is something like the Trine series, mm -hmm. where they're kind of, they're more puzzle than platformer, but they're cooperative. You know, you've got four people playing, solving puzzles all at the same time. And that just works really, really well because it's kind of slow paced and, you know, but it, but what's good about especially 2d platformers for a cooperative environment is that it makes the environment a lot simpler and so that makes cooperate you know cooperating a little bit easier because it's easier to have a fixed camera where everyone yeah. can see what they're doing and you know the movement is a little simpler you don't have to worry necessarily so much about how collisions work in that environment you know that kind of thing is just made a lot simpler by making it 2d and there have been some reasonable co 3D cooperative games, something like the most recent Super Mario 3D World was co-op, uh, and that was pretty decent. But I think it does tend to work better in 2D platformers. You've got to really design quite carefully around it because it can make the experience incredibly frustrating if one person can't keep up but is required to keep up, especially for camera angles. Like that's a big part because like, because most kind of local cooperative games have like that panning camera, don't they? Where it kind of pans in and out to kind of have everyone on the yeah. same level. 
So if you design your game well, it's not a problem, but co-oping games can fall down. So having a mechanic start designed around it is, is, is the right idea. One of the, it's not really a platformer. It's more of a puzzle game, I guess, like a puzzle platformer, which we'll get onto in a bit. Is something like Brothers. Did you ever play that one? Yeah, 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 I did. I did play that, yeah. That's kind of a good example of it. It's not, I guess, not strictly a platformer game, is it? But it's kind of an adventure story sort of game, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. But that had the idea of cooperation built into its design, so it worked nicely. Yeah. Whereas some games kind of just throw in the ability to have another player. Although I must say older older school platformer games like uh, the original Sonic 2 and like Donkey Kong Country where the the multiplayer aspect of it, the cooperative function of it wasn't really cooperative. It was just sort of like little brother mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean by that. Um, <laughs> so th- that was a decent way of doing it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of had that in Galaxy as well, didn't you? Where the co-op person could just like be the wheel. Grab the little <laughs> bits of, of, of star or whatever. Star bits, yeah, star bits. <laughs> Something that's, you know, we just mentioned about kind of panning cameras and things like that on cooperative cameras in general can be so bad, right? Like there are so mm. many examples of really bad cameras in platforming games, particularly early 3D. But even now with new 3D, you know, something like ukulele had some real trouble getting its camera to work properly. And at the end of the day, it's just it's just hard to work out, yeah. you know, where do you show the user or show the player rather, especially mm-hmm. if you if they've got to do tricksy jumps and stuff yeah, like that. Especially and in three dimensions. Yeah, definitely. But it can be a problem in, in a 2D game as well. You know, particularly if it's a fast-paced game or something like that, where, you know, you've got to get the the distance right such that the detail is is clear, but it's not too close that, you know, it's difficult to make a jump because you can't see far enough and stuff well, like that. I was going to mention that actually one of the things that winds me up no end and this probably ties in mostly with like bad camera angles is like leaps of faith in platform games. Yeah. I hate leaps of faith because if you if you make it you don't feel good about making it because you've just sort of jumped randomly. But yeah. if you don't make it you feel really cheated because it's not like you've had much of a it's not been a something you've had to control over. You've just had to hope for the best and then you've been punished for hoping for the best. And the only way you can get past it is like, well, I know not to jump there or I know I need to jump a little bit less because it, it's like those games where you have leaps of faith off of off of like a ledge to down below. And you go as far as you can because that's almost just built into your into your game mechanics at this point to just jump as far as you possibly can. But you overshoot on like, and they purposely put the hole further away. Whereas if you did just sort of drop down, you'd been fine. Yeah, like, that really that winds me up so much because it's such awful design, <laughs> and that is partially down to get uh, the camera angles, but it's also partially down to like poor level design as well, I guess. Yeah, I think it's 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 kind of cheap, isn't it? Like it's just cheap is a good word. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a cheap way of, of making the game more difficult by you know there's no there's nothing you can do to gain an advantage in that situation. You've just got to try it once and die and then get it right the second time or maybe not the second time, depending on how good you are. That isn't to say that that sort of a trial and error sort of gameplay doesn't have its place in platform games. It absolutely does. Mm. Like you look at Super Meat Boy, that's almost what that is, isn't it? Like that's a trial and error game where it's like, yeah. if I jump there, will I make it? If I run it like this, then I'll be able to hit that wall and things like that. So when it's done right, it's fine. But like 
when it's done badly, it's just infuriating. But there's some really good examples of games that have done sort of that more puzzly element. We've mentioned puzzles a couple of times throughout the episode so far that have done it really, really well. Like the Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Epstein's games are some of my favorite games from sort of like the PS1 era. Uh, which is weird because I was such a Nintendo kind of fan that I, these these PlayStation games that I really, really loved. You're going to die loads and loads of times in these games, but every time you die, you know why you've died? Yeah. And it's not because you weren't able to get your body to do something. You need to. There, there was a little bit of twitch in the Abe games, in fairness. Like There was sometimes where you need to make like the right the button press at the right time. But yeah. more often than not, it was mostly just about figuring out the process, like working out, well, I need to jump at this point when this happens, and then I need to run, and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you feel very complicated because every sort of like level or every couple of like stages or something is almost like its own contained puzzle. Um and it feels genuinely rewarding for that. And that's not to say that like platformers as a whole aren't rewarding because like making that, you know, difficult jump or making that perfect run through a level where you've not gotten hit by an enemy once is super rewarding, but it's more of a test of your brain rather than a test of your like your reflexes. I think that of all the kind of subgenres we've talked about, I think that puzzle platformers you know platforming games with with some puzzle elements that kind of slow you down and and reward you for and reward you for thinking about how to solve something i think that they are probably my favorite kind of platforming game you know mm. we talked about the kind of free roaming style stuff with with lots of collectibles and story based platformers and also just kind of you know quirky things or roguelikes and stuff like that but i think ones where there's a variety of pace where you've got sort of movement and progression, but then also bits that slow you down yeah, and force yeah. you to solve a problem. And it's weird actually, because when I describe that, I'm not one of the things that comes to mind, which isn't a platformer is Half-Life and Half-Life 2. Yeah, that's a good example. Th then it's not a platformer, but it's kind of, there's a lot of platforming elements when you elements think about some it. of the there physics are. puzzles. There are definitely. And that kind of thing is what I really, that sort of level design and pacing um, is really cool and you get that from having a platformer that has puzzle elements and I think that they they are just really good uh, and that's probably my my favorite kind of platformer I think they're probably really hard to make only yeah. because you can't just rely on your ability to make a set of mechanics for you to jump over different variations of obstacles and enemies yeah because you've got to do that but you also have to think about puzzles and make sure that they fit within your world but also make sure that the player can accomplish them because mm. the worst thing is to design a puzzle that is just too hard or yeah. have like too verbose of a solution to be intuitive so yeah. i think making one is really really tough but when it's done well yeah, there must be so much like testing that you mm. have to do to get that right, you know. And actually, I was at a meetup the other day that was about uh, human-computer interaction mm -hmm. and sort of like all of that generic stuff about everything from graphical user interfaces to robots to Amazon Echoes and things like that. And what is interesting is when you do that kind of thing, you have to do so much testing to understand how people mm. use your your product, your thing where they're interacting with a computer or something digital or a machine of some kind. And actually there's kind of a thing there with something like a puzzle platformer where you kind of have the same thing, like you design this level, this puzzle, and you would have to do so much testing to yeah. understand how people behave when they play that level. And it's just an interesting crossover there of like, 
you know, interaction with computers versus interaction with levels that are designs. Well, just kind of is interesting. Because there's no point in you testing it because you already know how your game works and exactly. how your game interacts and how, you know, things are going to work. If you do something, you need to get a fresh pair of eyes and a practically every single time to get it right, to be enjoyable to yeah. the majority of your consumers. Yeah, it's really interesting. So that's a lot of effort. Like, uh, yeah. th- th- there's there's definitely applause to be made to good puzzle platformer designers. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What about you? What would you say is your kind of favorite sort of style of platformer? Um, I mean, from a sort of uh, retro, not retro, what's the word? Nostalgic look at things, then it's got to be the collectathon, even though we've kind of like ragged <laughs> on it a little bit. But that's only yeah. because that was really my my main introduction to the the genre like yeah i didn't i wasn't actually playing kind of like mario games uh when they were kind of fresh like I, the first mario game i played was probably like yoshi's island and i, I think that shows because i've talked about that the past a few times as well yeah and i didn't play it like a super lot either like it was actually at like my parents house uh, my uh, my dad's house sorry uh, so I played it at his, like, but only very, very brief, like half an hour sort of thing. So my proper, my first proper experience with uh, with platforms came with things like Banjo-Kazooie, um, which, like, is the game that I, I think that was the first game that I was, like, super looking forward to a sequel to as well. Like, I played sequels before, but that was the yeah. game that I was like, oh my god, I can't wait till Banjo-Kazooie comes out. Which is probably why I think that that's actually a better game, but that's primarily from the nostalgia. Yeah, I really liked Banjo-Kazooie as well, though, to be but fair. But I have a real appreciation for those sort of fast paced quirky games like your super meat boys yeah there's there's other there's other really good examples of them as well um where like there's there's just like one hook and they're done really really well yeah i think like you say the indie developers can kind of try that one unique selling point within a game and it not have to matter as much because they can just do whatever the hell they want yeah um so i i I really really enjoy like experiencing different mechanics like that as well yeah definitely definitely agreed um but what what do you like what platforming games do you like listener well we've been a bit unfair again we've not mentioned too many other genres like uh, sorry other platforms like playstation or xbox here have we i guess we mentioned a little bit of playstation with things like abe's odyssey and yeah. bandicoot yeah and uh, didn't really yeah, talk exactly. about like spyro though did we which is like a really big one well we totally we mentioned spyro i think, right? I think it got we? mentioned once yeah <laughs> <laughs> we we can alienate so many listeners with our uh bias towards nintendo yeah oh god that needs to be addressed yes it does um, but yeah, let us know. Let us know about the things that we've missed from the other platforms because we're such Nintendo fanboys. <laughs> you can email us as always, show at octal.fm. And you can tweet us. We're at octal.fm on Twitter. Uh, or you can come and find us on Facebook if you search for octal.fm. Yeah, you've, you've been posting some pretty interesting articles, actually, that I, even I wasn't aware of. Yeah, we've been trying to sort of share stuff that's related to the show on yeah. our social media channels uh, to just, you know, things that we've talked about before, you know, just like share some bits and pieces here and there um, around basically anything, anything that we've talked about, whether it's Amazon Echo or it's, uh, you know, Nintendo or Heroes of the Storm or MOBAs in general, esports and stuff like that, you know, all of those kinds of things. Sharing a lot more, a lot more articles uh, to sort of, yeah, just because it's, you know, in between episodes, you can follow along with the kinds of things that we talk about. Yeah. 
And we'd definitely like to get some uh, some feedback on what you want to hear as well. Or maybe we link to something that we haven't talked about before and you go, that would make a great episode. Like, Yeah, okay, definitely. could do. Well, something that I, I shared an article about, uh, someone talking about why Skyward Sword was their favorite Zelda game. And it mm. made me realize we haven't done a best ever Zelda. That's going to help our Nintendo uh, <laughs> ratio, but... But you know, our best ever best ever Zelda game uh, would probably be something that would be worth talking about. And yeah, it sounded sure. like some people were keen on that idea. So yeah. Well, we hope you have enjoyed our episode on platforming. Um, make sure that uh, you, you jump to the comments and, uh, and let <laughs> us know what you think. Uh, and we will uh, catch you again for the next episode. Uh, catch you again soon. Like I think about these puns for the entire episode. Like <laughs> you just the sat there, like, like, I like I need a pun. You, you'll be chatting about something. I'm thinking, how can I end the episode? <laughs> Hang on, you, you you spent the whole episode thinking about a pun, and then you just came with jump to the comments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Didn't say it was a good one. <laughs> Interfaces and robots and Alexa and things like that. Wait. Oh my god, I just said Alexa. Did she turn on? She actually just started playing music. Do you know, uh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so, I think there's like 10 levels, so already what that's, uh, what? Maths. Everything from graphical user interfaces to robots to amazon echoes and things like that um no i'm not saying alexa there oh no <laughs> oh no it worked carry on no carry on power through i don't think i don't think she heard me